The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. my friends and welcome to this another episode of the roto world football podcast my name is josh norris here virtually joined by ian harditz and energetically hopefully still john daigle gentlemen how are you i mean the biggest worry on my mind right now is i ran out of my baileys this morning so we gotta gotta get back to the store later but you know i'm ready to talk football for now to bring some levity to this situation what is the weirdest thing that you have done in quarantine so far in self-isolation john daigle uh, I'm taking boxing classes. I always told you I wanted to take boxing classes, but now I'm doing them indoors. And uh-huh. that's, uh, it's kind of strange watching someone on Instagram and then following along. Yeah. Mine is far less serious than, than you two. Uh, I realized yesterday that I was wearing four layers of Navy. It also occurred to me this morning that we'll have to cut our own hair at some point in the next two months because Don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, Daigle, that's no news to you, but I was made for quarantine. Uh, Ian, how often do you get your hair cut? Because for me, it's every three weeks. And so it, it's going to, I'm going to wear some hats in this podcast. Let's put it that way. It's uh, It's been a rough one. I was thinking about changing up the buzz cut for the first time in like 12 plus years. But now that there's really no one to see it, I'm probably just going to try to buy some buzz. One, more, do one more quick one, because I think it relates to everyone. Is anyone else, one, losing track of days and two, sleeping miserably? Miserably. Sleeping miserably. Miserable. I I am someone who has tried in the last few years to go to sleep before midnight consistently, unless mm-hmm. I procrastinate and leave work into the last minute. I cannot even get into bed right now until like one or one thirty in the morning. Same here. I get to bed at one, one thirty, maybe two, but like I sleep in until ten or eleven. So what's the problem? So I guess I answered your first question wrong because last night around two thirty when I couldn't sleep, I started jotting down the ideas for a wrestling board game. So maybe that's the weirdest thing I've done during quarantine. <laughs> Is that where you're going to pivot to this offseason, Daigle, is, is just creating wrestling board games? And that might got, take off. That would be the few, career path. I got a few wild ideas just in case, because who knows what's going to happen right now. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... 
Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, for now, you are bound to do this podcast. Uh, let's make an easy one today. We'll start off with news, then later on hit some winners in free agency and some losers in free agency. Simple, right? Uh, I haven't talked to either of you since I think last Thursday. A lot has happened since then. I mean, isn't it crazy to think that free agency just opened about a week and a day ago and so much has happened in that time? We will start off, though, with Todd Gurley heading to the Atlanta Falcons on a one-year, $5 million contract. The deal is contingent on the 25-year-old eventually passing his physical with the team. Uh, Daigle, the Falcons were mentioned as a team that was possibly in to trade for Gurley before he was ultimately released by the Rams, so they obviously think very highly of the running back. It's kind of the perfect situation, which has been the odd scenario for a lot of veterans we thought were washed. They just kind of ended up in a great scenario for themselves on an offense. And it's the same for Todd Gurley. Uh, Goes now where Freeman, obviously, Devontae Freeman got released, freed up 17.3 touches per game for Todd Gurley to kind of stride right into. And yes, we expect them to grab a running back on day two, most likely, Cam Akers seems to be the fit right now. But for the time being, a one-year deal, like they have nothing to lose by just outright riding him all year long. I don't know if we're going to see him ride him, though. I mean, yeah, Devontae commanded a nice little workload, but that was really mostly after, and wow, Edo Smith was getting hurt. I mean, clearly the Brian Hill experiment kind of failed on him, and I think mm-hmm. they were just willing to finally give Devontae that 70%-plus snap roll that really we just haven't seen. In Atlanta, going back to the Freeman, Tevin Coleman days, I mean, they've always kind of wanted to use committee backs. If they do lean on Gurley, yeah, you're right. It is a perfect situation. I, Josh, I don't know how you said he's 25 years old and didn't, like, hesitate. That's just crazy to me still. And I know yeah. everyone's going to have their 25-year-olds with 100-year-old knee jokes. That's fine. Get him out. But the guy that looked washed last year, he still scored 14 touchdowns. Let's not forget fantasy football, follow the opportunity, and it might be here in Atlanta. I really like what this what the Falcons are doing this offseason. And while they like of Austin Hooper, and then they trade a second-round pick for Hayden Hurst. It's, it's still a situation where they're trying to make a strength stronger, right? Because they've had this good offense and Julio Jones and, and Calvin Ridley and obviously Matt Ryan, but they're trying to keep it strong because that's where they know that they win on the football field. They only think- signed Laquan Treadwell to say they could start 11 first-round picks, <laughs> right? Because they were 10 out of 11 until they signed him. This is all dependent on how healthy Todd Gurley is because, yes, you did mention 25 years old, but he's obviously had some major knee issues. And there have been some murmurs and reports that, you know, he's sought help for that knee in multiple different avenues and really nothing has worked in. What fascinated me last year was how much of a decline he had in the passing game because he was a major part of that passing game for the Rams back in 2018. Then 2019, he just looked lost. He, he looked insignificant there. And 
240 plus touches are, are on the table. And so if he is healthy, it's, it's, it's a great spot for me. Yeah, I'm excited to see what Gurley can do playing, you know, with a real QB for the first time in his career. It'll be a decent uh, upgrade there under center. I'm not sure if we'll see him kind of get the targets, There's, you know, with Hurst there now, Ridley, Julio. There's plenty of guys in the passing game that will compete for targets. But we've seen Gurley do it before. Like you said, if he's healthy, maybe he can do it again. But, again, 14 touchdowns last year, and yeah. all we could talk about all season was how washed he was. So if the opportunity's there, I think it'll be a high enough scoring offense for him to kind of get that touchdown equity once again. And, and so much running production is tied to run blocking success. And obviously the Falcons had a really, really bad blocking offensive line last year. So hopefully that changes this year. All right, moving on to another running back, Melvin Gordon to the Denver Broncos on a two year, $16 million contract with 13 and a half million guaranteed. Hopefully you can hear the trains in front of me because I am super thrilled about this landing spot for the person that is Melvin Gordon, the third, the talent that is Melvin Gordon, the third, it's clear that John Elway wanted to, have a lead back over Philip Lindsay. The team drafted Royce Freeman in the same year that they acquired Philip Lindsay as an undrafted free agent. Uh, Daigle, Melvin Gordon, I would say, is the odds-on favorite to lead the team in touches, but certainly will have more of a split backfield than one feature back. You said you were thrilled. Why are you thrilled about this landing spot? Because I, I think Melvin is still a really good running back. It's, it's different than Gurley, right? Because – I, I think we've seen with our eyes how much Todd Gurley, the talent has declined. I'm not sure if Melvin Gordon, the talent has declined. I think that obviously it wasn't a productive 2019, but so many factors went into that, including just skipping off season workouts and going into a situation where he was kind of the second best back. So uh, they obviously want him here in Denver. To me, that, that makes sense for him to be the lead ball carrier in that scenario. And they did already say he's the 1A ahead of Felt Lindsay. Yeah. Uh, my initial reaction wasn't even about Melvin Gordon. I think I'm just upset at how bad John Elway runs a team, even though I know he's a big fan of the Roto World podcast, so I'm sorry. Uh, because you have Royce Freeman still on a rookie deal. and yes, He's not I, good. No, uh, it's still too early to say that. Like, is there, so. a, is there a giant difference between Melvin Gordon and Royce yes. Freeman? Yes. No, I agree. But again, <laughs> a running back on a rookie contract, you just take that if you're going to have a 1A and 1B option. I don't know why you're wasting uh, money on Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I was it's hoping not, that they would get Drew Locke, another weapon that wasn't just a running back. I understand Gordon does bring more pass-down ability than either Lindsey or Freeman to the table, but I don't think anyone looked at the Broncos and were like, wow, they're just a running back away from, you know, really competing here. I w- you know, we'll see if they address wide receiver in the draft, they better, but I'm still waiting to see where Robbie Anderson goes because I'm looking at that offense. I think what they need is kind of more of a field stretcher to help open things up for the run game, for Cortland Sutton, for everyone else that's kind of working those underneath their areas of the field. I know Sutton can go deep and all that too, but I just don't – I mean, it's fine. Melvin Gordon, he's a good running back, maybe even very good, and he'll be that wherever he goes. But now he's in a situation where we know Lindsey's going to be involved. It's not going to be a three-down roll by any stretch of the imagination. And, again, I just think there are bigger needs in Denver than a hmm. running back. I, I hope I'm wrong on this offense because I, I like watching t- uh, Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick and Noah Fant and all these – talented young players they have in this offense. You get to slide Tim Patrick in there. and act like <laughs> Tim, Patrick, Tim Patrick's young and good as well. But like, I don't know, the five games we got out of Drew Locke, what leads me to believe, and it's only five games I know, but what nothing led me to believe that we're going to be watching anything special. I understand it from like a fantasy lens where yes. we might not be thrilled with this because obviously it's a competing workload, but I don't see how adding a Melvin Gordon makes your team worse. It doesn't. It makes it sure. better. And so just from a big picture look, I'm excited for a Broncos team 
that is better. I'm also excited for John Elway because this is obviously a, a type of player that he's wanted for quite some time. Like you go back to the Royce Freeman draft and it's clear he wants a bigger back who can succeed in the ways bigger backs do. And Melvin Gordon does that. I, I think Philip Lindsay's a very good talent. He's obviously outperformed any expectations anyone ever placed on him. But when teams have a vision for how they want a position to be and fit on their team, I think it's super evident that Melvin Gordon is that for the Broncos. Yeah, I think people in general kind of look at look at Lindsey because he's smaller as this like scat back type. But he just hasn't been that great as a receiver these last right. two seasons. I mean, he couldn't even beat out Devontae Booker consistently. So, yes, it makes their offense better for sure. And you know what? Like when you have – I'm not sure how much they're paying Flacco, so excuse me on that a little bit. But when you do have a rookie quarterback, you know, sign whoever you can to help make the offense better. All right, moving on. The New Orleans Saints have added Emmanuel Sanders on a two-year $16 million contract. Last year, Sanders had just two 100-yard games over that, I should say, with the 49ers. He's 33 years old, but last year, Ian, the Saints added Jared Cook to go with Michael Thomas prior to the 2019 season. And now prior to the 2020 season, you had Sanders to go along with Cook. And Thomas, again, this goes back to making a strength even stronger. And look what's happened in the two playoff games that the Saints have lost in. Michael Thomas pretty much had the entire secondary focus on him, and he just wasn't our usual Michael Thomas production, 436-0 against the Rams, seven catches for 70 yards against that pretty bad Vikings secondary uh, last year. I mean, we just, we've seen defenses. They focus everyone on Michael Thomas, and then hopefully Alvin Kamara can make enough happen underneath. But that, that's been the problem. They added Jared Cook last year. That was huge. Now adding Emmanuel Sanders, gigantic. I mean, we have seen Breeze, you know, force the ball to Traquan Smith and Ted Ginn and yeah. way too high of leverage situations over the years. Now we have a guy who was a better deep ball way from being the Super Bowl hero. So, I mean, played 17 games last year following that brutal Achilles injury. Average nine yards per target. I mean, that was his highest since 2014. Sure, the Shanahan scheme probably helped matters with that, but going to Sean Payton and Drew Brees is just about the best, you know, alternate location you could ask for. I went from being completely out on Emmanuel Sanders altogether to just the one landing spot he could have gone that actually needed his presence in the slot. And it's the perfect, the perfect fit. Uh, And thinking back on it, remember, we've talked about this, opened up with the Niners, a two-game stretch where he had over 100 yards. He scored two touchdowns and then had that ribs injury. But then you think about it, and it was kind of – Uh, unreasonable to think he could play effectively for that long anyhow, because not only did he play a full season um, less than one year removed from an ACL tear, and then not only did he play more than a full season because he got traded, so he played 17 games, he also went on to play 20 games all year long off of an ACL tear in November. So now to just be added to the slot, it actually – I wonder how they're going to integrate him and Jared Cook together because Cook played the third highest slot rate among all tight ends last year. Scored five touchdowns from the middle of the field. So it is another presence, but uh, it's going to be curious how they integrate all three, including Michael Thomas, into this offense. But either way, a terrific, terrific fit. And how dare I forget Taysom Hill's name in that group of playmakers? Red zone threat, of course. How dare I forget the number one playmaker in the playoffs for the New Orleans Saints? Uh, Yeah, I think we're all excited about Emmanuel Sanders. And still, I mean, for a player who we forget came off an Achilles injury in just like a six to eight month span of time, to do what he did last year for the 49ers and why it wasn't super uber productive, I would even say that maybe in a team that was worse, he would have gotten more opportunity than he did with the 49ers. So um, he might be that missing piece of what the Saints have been missing uh, on offense the last couple of years. All right, moving on. 
Brian Hoyer to the New England Patriots. Is that what the train is sounding is, for Brian Hoyer? Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe in Brian Hoyer's case, it's a good thing. He signed a one-year, $2 million contract, and Hoyer's agent said he will compete to start. Ian Harditz, do you buy that? Are they tanking for Trevor Lawrence already? I mean, no. Yes. Maybe. I guess he is. It's weird to say, but at the same time, like this Patriots team, even last year, and Brady himself said it's a team built on defense and special teams, and there's not a quarterback available right now that I think would really change that. Josh, I, I know – Brady, so good at making the right decisions, not turning the ball over. I've heard you give this feel before. I don't disagree <laughs> with it. With that said, the Patriots allowed 14 or fewer points in 11 games last season. You cannot tell me if Brian Hoyer, if he was the Patriots quarterback last year, they went at least eight games. No, just, they don't, Ian. Ian, stop this. You don't think Brian stop Hoyer this. can score 17 points a no. game? No. I, I don't understand your infatuation with thinking that Brian Hoyer, there's not that much of a difference, a four-game difference between Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer. That, I mean, that's I think a, there's a drastic the difference. When you have the league's single best coach at game planning that what once had Jacoby Brissett throw like six passes and a blowout win over the Texans and also easily the league's best defense, you don't need a good quarterback under center to be 500. The last guess, time we saw Brian Hoyer, he was absolutely atrocious. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about him hosting Miami and just completing 46% of his passes and being atrocious, atrocious. From the Patriots' view, though, and how they're going to handle this position, because to me that's like the biggest storyline as we enter the rest of this offseason, maybe the 2020 season altogether, is finally we have Bill Belichick, who's the greatest coach of our lifetime, and how he handles the most important position in the sport is something that we have never truly seen, um, at least in the last decade, decade and a half. So, Well, Matt Castle, it's the but, exact but situation. That was only going to be a one-year plan. This isn't just a one-year plan. It's going to have to be much longer than that because I, I don't think that Bill Belichick is going to rush into any drastic decisions. He's not going to panic, at least in the short term. It would not surprise me at all. If we enter the 2020 season, it's Jarrett Sidham and Brian Hoyer, maybe a rookie that they add outside of the first round, and that's it. And Daigle, I don't know, going back to Ian's point, I don't know how many games you win with that because, as we know, great defenses, at least the historic level that the, the Patriots played in for the first 10 games of the season, that is not sticky. That is not going to repeat itself. So I don't know how good win-loss-wise the Patriots are going to be next year, but I don't think that Bill's too worried about that necessarily. Obviously, he wants to win, but he also doesn't want to rush into anything that he can't get away with at the quarterback spot. I will never count Belichick out for fewer than eight wins. Uh, in terms of the situation under center, though, with it looking like OTAs and perhaps even camp, who knows, is going to get canceled, like that's going to factor into who is their quarterback. Yeah. And it's going to be either Stidham or Hoyer. It doesn't, even, even someone like Cam Newton coming over doesn't make sense at all right now. Uh, Ian, I'm going to extend an olive branch to you because a few XFL quarterbacks signed. Uh, the Chiefs signed quarterback Jordan Tayamu, formerly of the XFLs. Let me read this correctly. Uh, the St. Louis Battlehawks. That's a one-year contract Tayamu got. Uh, the Panthers signed quarterback P.J. Walker, formerly of the Houston Roughnecks, uh, to a two-year deal. Ian, give us a quick scouting report on each. P.J. Walker, high, highest-flying XFL offense with June Jones down there in Houston, was the number one quarterback in all of your counting stats. The one issue was just so much of his game was off script. I mean, it was like PFF has this awesome stat, two and a half seconds, how they do when throwing shorter than that, feasibly, you know, when they get pressured or if they're just throwing kind of in rhythm or after two and a half seconds when the play breaks down. 
Walker, easily number one quarterback after two and a half seconds, more like eighth or ninth before two and a half seconds. So wrote an article a couple weeks ago in the Expo, still going on about Philip Walker's NFL chances. Yeah, he might be a top 60, 70 quarterback on the planet, but I really don't think he has much of a chance unless he can really improve his ability to you know, play on script and in the flow of an offense to do much because, again, it's just I don't think he has the athleticism to do the same type of things he was mm. doing in the XFL against better athletes. And then real quick, Jordan Tamu, man, like all we knew about this guy going in was he was the Ole Miss quarterback who couldn't make it work with D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown. Correct. To his credit, he was very accurate. He averaged a nice, you know, yards per attempt in St. Louis. But, man, that was like maybe the most unique offense in the XFL potentially because they were about 10 or 15% more run heavy than any other offense. And the entire game plan was pretty much one RPO after another. I mean, his like deep ball rate was Teddy Bridgewater-esque. He was running the ball a lot throwing quick slants when, you know, the defense allowed him to do so, but just never really saw him work in any type of offense I think we're going to see on Sunday. So I'm excited for both guys. They both run around. You know, we'll roster them in the preseason DFS. That'll be a good time. But I would curb any expectations of people thinking there'll be anything more than number two. You you actually know who the Battlehawks running backs are, Josh. You've you've heard of Do I? You've Zach heard Stacey? Of Matt Jones. Yes, I have. And Christian Michael before. Yeah. Yeah. I have, and by, the, I and by the way, both were pretty bad. So. Well, on Walker's end, Ian, there's a chance he sticks because he goes to the Panthers. Matt Rule is the coach. Matt Rule was his coach, I believe, for three or four years at Temple. The team, years went the team, as soon as they signed Walker, uh, traded Cal Allen to the Washington Redskins for a fifth-round selection. So we saw what Will, Will Greer looked like last year. And whenever we see new head coaches and coaching groups come into teams – all of them go and get players they are acquainted with, players that they know very well, and name it the quarterback spot. That's what the Redskins did with Cal Allen. That's what the Panthers are doing here with Walker. So it wouldn't shock me at all if, if he's their number two quarterback, if he has a good preseason and a better one than Will Greer. I'm choosing to believe that P.J. Walker showed up, had a quick tryout against Kyle Allen, and they just traded him immediately after the tryout. <laughs> Uh, guys, there's still a lot of big name free agents out there. Um, Jadavion Clowney, Jameis Winston, any of those or any others that I did not mention that you're surprised by or that you might see some connections with out there? It, there have been so many one-year deals for unrestricted free agents and long-term has been three for 30 for everyone. Yeah. Uh, it's well, been, that, that's when the new money's going to come in is in two or three years. Yeah. The, the Clowney story is an interesting one because prior to the offseason, you know, I considered maybe – if teams were going to spend at that spot, they might make him the highest paid defensive player in the league. And that's certainly not going to happen now. And the longer this goes on with clowning, they'll just return back to their teams Mm -hmm. um, unless we have some surprises. And there's still some other quality for agents out there. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... 
I got a charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. A lot has changed in the NFL over the last week. This is a league that loves to lie to us, as we have noted from combine statements to how that changed in just about a month after that. Um, But the NFL has to be honest with us during this free agency window. They have to divulge their plan just a little bit because they have to fill needs and then other ones have yet to be filled as well. So why don't we do some winners and some losers alternate with each. Um, Ian, why don't you start off with the winner for us? First winner I got is the Eagles defense. So we'll start with the one bad thing that happened. That was losing Malcolm Jenkins. That sucks. There's no way around it. They've been one of the league's top defenses against tight ends. And he's one of those safeties that truly, you know, he can play slot corner when you need him. He can play free safety, strong safety, incredibly versatile, huge gift for the Saints. Other than that, though, this was a home run of free agency for the Eagles. Javon Hargrave, we talked about him all, you know, before free agency started, but he was one of the best available interior defenders on that line. He's played in 63 of 64 games over the last four years. You know he's going to be there, PFS number eight interior defender last season. If he keeps playing at that high level, I mean, the, the one worry I had for him, we were talking about him before this, was how's he going to play when he's not surrounded by Hayward, Tua, and Watt. Now he's on an Eagles D-line that does yep. have a comparable amount of talent around him. So love that fit. And then Darius Slay, obviously. I mean, truly, I believe Slay is right there with, you know, Gilmore and Ramsey as one of the leagues, if not best, just like he can handle the most more responsibility than anyone else. And that's, you know, kind of what we've been seeing with the Lions and kind of looking back at that film from last year. Sure, like guys like Keenan Allen had decent games against them, but they're having those decent games with Slay moving to his slot with no safety help. He's asked to carry crossers all the way around the field, just irresponsible coverage schemes that were put on him because of how good he is. I mean, the Eagles have not been able to slow down number one wide receivers for like the last three years at least. Now they finally have a cornerback that can do it and small sample size, but pretty good history against Amari Cooper. Can I throw some names at you, Ian, because there are a few more. Jatavis Brown, they added to the linebacker group. I know you're a big fan because he's coming out of Akron. Uh, he actually had like some solid years, his first couple of years with the Chargers. And then I think there were some coaching changes. Something happened and he just fell to the bench. But he's an athletic linebacker who can operate behind those behemoths we talked about on the defensive line. And then they still have Malik Jackson, at least still on the roster right now. Malik Jackson was their big defensive free agent signing last offseason and didn't get to play at all because of injury. So adding him as like your rotational piece along with Hargrave and Fletcher Cox, that's frightening. Uh, Ian, I am surprised that this Eagles team has not attacked the wide receiver group at all so far, though, because that was the need that we thought they were going to um, prioritize because Deshaun Jackson's absence was felt incredibly after that one game that he played. Why do you think they haven't sought after any of those free agents so far? They must be relying on this draft class. Now, we saw didn't exactly help them last year when they kind of had J.J. Ortega-Whiteside who needed to kind of step up and obviously never did. I mean, we've heard the Alshon Jeffrey, you know, trade or release rumblings. We'll see if those kind of pick up again. I know they were kind of existing more. Uh, pre-combine than recently but yeah that, that's really the only hole on this team though I think otherwise they're super complete and they need the wide receivers for sure but I would say less so than maybe other positions just because they have I mean what other maybe I don't think any other offense has two tight ends this good across the leagues and they did use that pretty much as their base offense last year so 
you know, fingers crossed, DJX and Jeffrey can maybe stay healthy, but I think they're still in a good enough position if they just add a couple higher round picks to the wide receiver position. The defensive line additions are not ideal for a Cowboys offensive line that just lost Travis Frederick right in the middle. And with the Eagles, they have gotten rid of Jordan Howard. He's obviously moving on over to the Miami Dolphins. So, Ian, that leaves a very, very clear pathway for Miles Sanders to get maybe 300 touches this season. Hope so. I mean, again, it's going to depend on the draft. I know uh, I think it was Matthew Barry. It might, it might have been Matthew Barry. He has that real helpful article after the combine where he kind of talks about yep. uh, what he heard from guys. And I, I think the indication was they don't want to give Miles this – full-fledged three-down roll, but we saw him kind of carry that offense at the end of the season. It might be one of these situations where, no, the guy doesn't get a Christian McCaffrey 99% snap roll, but I think, you know, it'd be surprising to see him get anything less than 200 carries and, you know, 75 is targets, which is all we can ask for. All right, crossing my fingers that Daigle's internet is keeping up with us here. Daigle, why don't you take it away with one of your winners? In his rookie year, with Christian Kirk in and out of the lineup, Kyler Murray faced the league's fourth toughest schedule of passing defenses and still finishes the overall QB8 in fantasy. And now, as we've already heard, he now has DeAndre Hopkins on the perimeter. And suddenly there's a weekly scene present for him with what is likely to be an easier schedule. Um, there's a reason to believe he didn't throw deep last year just because he didn't have the weapons. Uh, he had a bottom-dwelling deep ball rate, just over 11%. But with Hopkins now, I would imagine he lets loose. The Cardinals are literally going, if you can imagine this, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, Trent Sherfield, and Pharaoh Cooper to Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, and Andy Isabella in the air raid scheme. So overall, it's just a massive win for Kyler Murray. It is. And I mean, I talked about it so often, but finally we get to see talent around Kyler Murray that is hopefully equal to Kyler Murray. And Ian, you and I just sitting across from each other in the newsroom all season long, I could tell when you were watching Kyler Murray tape from that week, you could tell when I was watching Kyler Murray tape from that week because there was one, at least one or two eye-popping plays that he made to elevate the talent around him. I always think back to the Atlanta Falcons game where there's like immediate pressure, he climbs the pocket, he resets himself, he moves into the end of the pocket, then throws downfield. Like these deep shots, the arm that he possess, possesses is like top five in the NFL. And I'm so pumped to see what the Cardinals do the rest of the way, namely in the draft, to really set him up for success this year inside of structure, I might add. I think this works. I want this to work. Guys, we, we're saying all these same things about the Browns this time last offseason when they traded for OBJ. And I know everyone's saying Kyler and Hopkins are better than Baker and OBJ. I, I don't disagree with that. I, yeah. Especially for fantasy purposes, like Kyler, the rushing floor, like he'll be fine. Fantasy – but this offensive line still needs so much work. And we haven't gone through the draft yet. I really hope they use that number seven overall pick, I believe it is. And they're in a tackle. perfect spot for that. They're in a perfect spot for that because we, we've talked about how good the wide receiver group is. The offensive tackle class, I think, is even better at the top. And there are going to be three or four teams in that top 10 or 13 spots. They're going to want offensive tackles. They're in like a prime location to get one to probably put in the right side because obviously on the left, they resigned DJ Humphreys earlier this offseason. Yeah, and again, they have time to figure this out. I hope they do. We need to monitor this offensive line so we, meaning me, don't make a ton of ridiculous statements like I did last <laughs> year about how great everything was going to be for Odell Beckham Jr. and this new I, offense. I mean, things look great in you one. All I'm saying is an extra year of film on this Kingsbury offense. I, I, I want it to work. I think it works, but I'm just hesitant in assuming when we have moving pieces like this, just assuming they're all going to click just year one, no problem. I just don't think comparing offensive line play to offensive line play is like 
the correct analysis. Like it's in this case, it seems like comparing the Browns to the Cardinals is like apples to I don't know what's another fruit. Is pomegranate a fruit or a vegetable? Yeah, Cardinals O line was trash. Like it's the fruit. Uh, no, I mean it was trash. But remember, Kingsbury had six seasons at Texas Tech, only had one guy drafted the NFL all six seasons. Laraven Clark now plays for the Colts, I'm guessing. Um, but it, through those six seasons, he coached the fourth lowest sack rate in all of Division One football. And then last year, they only they allowed the seventh lowest pressure pressure rate on offense. Uh, it, it's just completely different coaching and scheming from Kingsbury as a whole. So offensive Tyler line, literally took a league high 48 sacks. The seventh fewest, lowest pressure rate allowed. Ian, have you ever tried to crack open a pomegranate? I don't even know what a pomegranate is, man. Oh, wait, no. No, you put them in sangria, right? Those little things? <laughs> there you go. Uh, right. I, would also, I would also throw the statement at you, Ian, that Kyler Murray is a more talented player than Baker Mayfield. And I would even say far more talented player. He's just Baker a better Mayfield, football player. I'm just saying, Baker Mayfield set the rookie touchdown, rookie record for touchdowns. His splits before and after Hugh were – Huge. There is every reason to believe that adding Beckham to that offense, having another offseason with a, at what seemed to be a more stable organization. Like, I understand everyone was in on the Browns last year, and there was a lot of good reasons to. The one issue is the offensive line, and that, once again, Arizona, everything looks great. I'm in on it, but the one issue is the offensive line. I think a major part of that was even when the offensive line played well and the play callers did well, Baker did not play well. I don't think that there's a real possibility that if – Cliff does well and the offensive line does well, that Kyler doesn't do well. I'm, I'm more confident in Kyler's ability with that. Uh, I'll take it a spin for a winner and close um, out our statement conversation earlier on the Denver Broncos because I'm really enjoying what the Broncos are doing this offseason. We mentioned the Melvin Gordon deal, but they've done a lot more than that. They added Jarrell Casey in a late round pick exchange with the Tennessee Titans, just a 2020 seventh round pick. Casey's been one of the best interior disruptors across the NFL for years and years and years. Uh, and that's obviously a piece that this Broncos defense, John Elway thought they were missing. Uh, Graham Glasgow along their offensive line, they franchise tag Justin Simmons. They had another third day selection traded for AJ Boye. They kept Mike Purcell, who's a very good run defender. Um, Dago, I'll throw this at you because I say all those positive things yet there's a lot of eggs in the basket of Drew Locke right now. Drew Locke has had like very little conversation or speculation or criticism around him as more pieces are added around him. Do you think that's fair? Do you, are you nervous that the Broncos are basically going all in on Drew Locke right now, despite some quality possibilities available in Cam Newton and Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston, so on and so forth? I mean, he is a quarterback on a rookie deal, so you have no choice really to, but to build your window for the next four years. But whenever he went under center last year, uh, that's why Sutton's breakout suddenly stopped. Like only 61% of the balls he threw towards Sutton were deemed catchable by pro football focus, whereas 74% of Sutton's targets from Joe Flacco were actually deemed catchable, which is a substantial drop-off. Uh, we also saw Noah Fant's targets dip. I think, he, uh, I think it was – I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me. I think it was two extra targets per game that he dipped whenever Drew Locke went under center as well. I don't know. Again, it's only a five-game sample, so it could be much ado about nothing. But nothing I saw last year like leads me to be impressed, right? Like I don't understand why we're suddenly all in. Ian, what was your read when you watched him last year? The guy's got swagger, and I love it. I want Drew Locke to be good so bad. But <laughs> look, the guy, it's it's like um it's like why the Jets couldn't fire Adam Gase. When you start ripping off wins and wins and wins, you gotta give him the benefit of the doubt. I understand wins and losses are not a great QB stat. 
Drew Locke still went four and one with, with, his, with his only loss being, you know, in a snowy Kansas City game that, you know, no rookie is going to go into Arrowhead and went under those conditions. His yards per attempt weren't amazing, you know, 64% completion rate when you're not consistently dunning it downfield wasn't great. But there's enough there to, I think, feel good about. The dude's really athletic, has a cannon for the arm, had the highest, uh, you know, time from snap to sack in the league. Like, he's good at moving around. He can actually create a little bit off script. I don't know if he's this, you know, world beater talent or anything like that, but we live in a world where Josh Allen was a, you know, ill-timed second half comeback from Deshaun Watson away from going to the divisional round of the playoffs. So they're surrounding with a bunch of pieces. This defense in Denver is going to be sick with Chubb and uh, Bryce Callahan, both back second year under Fangio in that scheme. So really good defense, adding more talent in the offense. I think Drew is good enough to get this mm. team, uh, you know, at least back to eight and eight. Cause what this, these last two years, like the first time since the seventies or something that the Broncos weren't able to get a winning season on the board. Ronald Jones is another person that for me went from not winning anything to suddenly like being on draft <laughs> boards in the first 10 rounds because he had to dodge three bullets. And those three bullets were basically Melvin Gordon, David Johnson and Deion Lewis. And he somehow dodged them all and ends up back with the bucks with Peyton Barber still in free agency. Uh, Tampa Bay is rumored to be wanting to bring all of their guys back. So maybe it's possible they bring Peyton Barber back. But as it stands right now, like not only is Ronald Jones the starting running back for a Super Bowl contender two weeks into free agency, but Tom Brady referred to him as Ron Jones, which has to mean something. I don't know. We'll see how this looks after the draft. Obviously, we can say after all these moves. And with just Derry still being there is just screwing with me because we had a whole season's worth of evidence saying that Arians didn't trust Ronald Jones in passing situations. And he did talk him up for a little bit at the end. Really talked him up. Seemed like it was his job. And then he blows one pass blocking assignment and gets yanked off the field for the rest of the game. So, no barber. If they don't draft a running back in the top four rounds, I'm with you. Let's sign up for Ronald Jones. But right now, it just still seems like a situation where probably a rookie comes in and then Dari continues to get his targets and it just ends up being another committee miss. Well, trust is a big word because we heard so often during Tom Brady's time with New England that he has to trust the people around him in order to give them the football. I would say that's probably a reason why they went out and traded for Mohamed Sanu rather than give Nikhil Harry more chances. I mean, you can go back five, ten, even more years than that and point to when rookies just did not make massive impacts unless their name is Sony Michelle and you're basically just hanging the ball off to them seven yards in the backfield and asking them to run forward. Um, so I don't know if he trusts Ronald Jones. I know he called him Ron, but I don't know if he trusts Ronald Jones. I, I'm scanning the free agent list out there right now to see if like Brady has ever played with or might have respect for any of it's these thin. running backs out there. It's, it's very thin. It's thin. I mean, I mean, Lamar Miller's name is out there. Carlos Hyde's name is out there. Frank Gore's name is still out there. I mean, they're Devontae Booker. Like, there are players that have had production, obviously, in the NFL so far that, look, we haven't seen Tom's imprint on this Bucks team yet. It is still early in the window, and I bet it happens at some point. And to me, it could be at running backs, especially because a pass protection is so crucial to him possibly succeeding in this offense. If I had to pick, I would guess it's a running back they draft. But at the very least, Ronald Jones is now suddenly in a camp competition, whereas a week ago, I didn't even think that would happen. Hmm. Hmm. And I would just say, like, make sure when they draft, you know, if it's a guy in the top three rounds, definitely need to pay attention. But just remember, for every, uh, you know, late round guy out there, there's usually more Darwin Thompsons and Justice Hills that end up kind of sitting behind the guys that have been with the team more often. I'll shoot my shot. 
Um, Corey Clement will go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's a shot. Because Brady, Brady saw him in, in the Super Bowl. Brady saw him play well with the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, he fell out of favor with the Eagles, but you saw his work in the red zone. You saw his work in the passing down. I think Corey Clement's a good fit. Josh you know, has inside information again. This is like that when he called that. Tyler Irvin. Running back. Yeah, Tyler <laughs> freaking Irvin all over. Rich Rebar does that bit where he tracks what – players go with what teams and what they how they performed previously against them and Emmanuel Sanders fit that bill as well with the Saints because yeah. when Sanders went with the Niners to the to the Superdome he had 150 yards receiving a touchdown and threw a 35 yard touchdown pass so maybe that is the case and by the way the good news is I think my internet's done social distancing so I think we're good moving forward now Ian give us another winner here Derrick Henry. I mean, there are a lot of ways this could go wrong if you would have switched teams or if they would have added someone or changed quarterbacks but we're looking at the same team that just gave him the most rush attempts and led him the most rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. Same play caller, same head coach, same quarterback. It's the Derrick Henry show once again. And now they actually got rid of Deion Lewis, and they so far they haven't signed a legitimate scat back to replace him yet. I mean, I understand Derrick, you know, Derrick Henry, the problem we have with him in fantasy, at least, is that he is somewhat game script dependent. He's a 50 to 60% snap guy. If the Titans get down early, we're not necessarily going to see him on the field to get yards as we're trying to catch up. He can catch the ball, though, and get yards when he's in open space. He's not Alvin Kamara. He's not Christian McCaffrey. He can't line up in the slot and do some great route run or anything like that. Guys, only Austin Eckler, Kyle Juszczyk, shout out Shanny, Miles Sanders, and Kareem Hunt have averaged more yards per target than Derrick Henry since he entered the league. I mean, I know it's not pretty. He'll let two passes bounce off his hands and get five yards. But then he goes 70 yards, and there's just something to that big playability. He's had it throughout his entire football career. And – when you get him in open space in the past game, it opens up an entire new dimension to him. So uh, they lost Conklin. As we talked about in this before, Conklin was a better pass blocker than a run blocker. wasn't necessarily the best fit. Resigned Dennis Kelly. If the O-line can replicate what they did, we have Derrick Henry with the same role as last year, which helped blow up fantasy, except he could actually get more targets. So to me, it's just been a best-case offseason for Derrick Henry from start to finish. It is definitely a win in the ideal situation, which is why it's going to be even more frustrating when Kari Blassingame takes a 80-yard catch to the house over Derrick Henry. We talk about defense not translating year to year or being sticky year to year. I wonder if this approach by the Titans is going to do it. And, I mean, you can't blame the Titans from the outside looking in to, to bring it all back, right? Because it, it worked tremendously in the second half of last year. But we've just seen this formula not be the type to sustain success for the next one, two, three, or, or four years. Um, obviously, losing Jack Conklin, who's a fantastic run blocker, is going to be significant. Wouldn't surprise me at all with that late first-round pick if they go there. But Ian, I mean, this was a team that was one of the more exciting units across the league um, at points. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that more time spent with Ryan Tannehill as a starter means more production for the likes of AJ Brown and Corey Davis, and maybe even Adam Humphreys as well. Like we're, we're, we're yelling regression here because Tannehill was literally the best quarterback in the league on like a yards per attempt basis. And, right. you know, plenty of stats when he was out there, I don't think that's going to happen again, but who's to say he can't be a top 12 quarterback in year two of the system. 
And as we saw in the playoffs, if they can help it, they're not even going to put the game in Tannehill's. Uh, you know, they're not going to put the game in Tannehill's hands anyway. So it all it all makes sense as to why they can easily experience regression. Uh, however, I just want to run it back for a full season because there are so many interesting case studies across this offense between a second year OC who found the perfect play caller from play action to Derrick Henry's style of play as well as his athleticism at his size. Like I just want to see it all for one season that's it speaking of Derrick Henry he forced change for who I think is another winner this offseason and that's the Baltimore Ravens this is a team who saw Derrick Henry I think rush for nearly 200 yards against them uh in the playoffs and you know when the Ravens were operated by Ozzie Newsome he was very much a decision maker who cared about building a roster from the inside and out I think the Ravens kind of went away from that last year with a deal for Marcus Peters which was fantastic, but they didn't really have any linebackers worth a damn at all. And they've completely changed that this year by trading for Calais Campbell, adding Michael Brockers, who's still one of the better run defenders in the NFL. And then maybe they'll draft a linebacker in the first round with speed to operate behind those big hulking defensive linemen. Uh, I really like when teams have their rookie quarterback in place and can maximize their winner to win by filling significant holes. And Ian, I definitely think that Ravens have done that so far this offseason. Yeah, I think we'll see them continue to do it throughout the early rounds of the draft to try to boost that pass rush because as unique as the Ravens' offense was last season with all the things Lamar Jackson was doing, their defense was also just schematically one of the most unique units in the entire league. I mean, they blitzed on 55% of their opponents' dropbacks. The number two team was the Buccaneers at 43%. I mean, the, they got pressure, but they had to send five, six guys per play to do it. Now they've actually added some talent already in the defensive line. Hopefully they get some more. That can help their already talented secondary not have to be on islands all game and kind of hold up. Uh, hopefully they can hold up with extra safeties behind them, helping them out. So we'll see. Michael Brockers, I'm a little bit nervous about it. Again, we, we talked about this with Hargrave. Like whenever a player leaves such a cozy situation with Brockers, I was playing next to Aaron Donald for the last decade. I'm hesitant assuming we're going to get that same caliber play moving forward, but just keep adding bodies to the unit. So Even something as simple as bringing Jimmy Smith back on a one-year deal, like that shores up the entire team, especially with their front seven, as you said, locked in. So yeah, it's, it's crazy to think the Ravens, who were the best regular season team, were winners, but yet again, they're defying the odds. And not to mention they got a second-round pick for their tight end three in Hayden yeah. Hurst. They do have to replace Marcher Yonda, who's been one of the best guards in football over the last decade. Maybe they can do that. But, yeah, for a team that was already so good, one of the best regular season teams we've seen in quite some time, obviously didn't happen in the playoffs. Uh, this team didn't have a lot of needs. And the ones that they had, they basically went out and filled them so far. And I think that's the right way to approach for agency and you attack and add playmakers at either spot and either side of the ball. And I think they can do that. Um, should we get negative here, guys? I, yeah. I know I, I asked you to figure out some some quote losers of the last week. Ian, why don't you go first with one? Austin Hooper is a loser from a fantasy perspective. Real life perspective, man, good for you. Got that, got that bag. So kudos to the Hooper family and everything. But look, he was already the number three option in this Falcons offense. Last season, they got so far behind some games that that changed. But before that, He had 77 targets per year, you know, in this kind of Falcons offense that clearly had a wide receiver ahead of him. Now he goes to a Browns offense that, yes, like Landry and OBJ are definitively getting more targets than Hooper this year. And we even have some – I'm not convinced that Hooper's necessarily just going to completely pull away 
from David Njoku. I mean, nobody utilized three wide receiver personnel less than Minnesota last season. Now we got Kevin Stefanski running things in Cleveland. I mean, Kyle Rudolph had all the touchdowns last year, but he literally only had one more target than Irv Smith on the entire season. Both of them were very involved. And right now we're hearing good things about Njoku. So maybe this changes and Njoku's out of the picture and they really just give Hooper that full-time role. But even if that happens, you know, it's a new quarterback, new scheme, and he's the number three option in it. So I thought that whoever was going to pay Hooper this, you know, huge lump sum of money would be doing so to make him their number one or number two pass game option, which very few tight ends in this league have. And that's not the case. So yeah, he's, He'll, he'll help the offense. The Browns offense is better with Austin Hooper than without him, but he's going to be going off the board in fantasy as a top six tight end. I'm definitely going to let someone else pick him. That was my initial thoughts. Exactly. Was, wow, what a great get and surprising for the Browns sneaking out of nowhere. But then also like, geez, like that's, that's such an awful spot for him <laughs> to go for fantasy. Daigle, why don't you give us one of your losers? Sure. Uh, because there've been a lot of opinions about winners and losers in the Texans trade. And it makes sense. Uh, David Johnson suddenly steps into the most unaccounted for carries from last season's production. And Will Fuller, the likeliest beneficiary of DeAndre Hopkins, vacated 10 targets and 105 air yards per game. But overall, I think the most likely outcome is that without DeAndre Hopkins, the entire Texans offense loses. And they just get worse vicariously just from being involved. Um, Another way to phrase it, Imagine if 34-year-old Darren Fells has a greater than 0% chance of leading your team in receiving. Odds are your offense probably isn't that great. And I would guess Darren Fells probably has a great shot at leading them in receiving touchdowns at the least. So I am, I am very concerned for Deshaun Watson and the offense as a whole, especially because Watson has yet to play a career game in the NFL without Hopkins. This Randall Cobb contract had to be one of the worst of free agency. Wow. I mean – what, I forgot. What, I forgot that was even a thing. Jeez. What what a spin on losing DeAndre Hopkins because you just don't know how to handle relationships. To then paying a slot receiver who's twenty nine years old old has already seen the best years of his career in those first three to four <clears throat> with the Green Bay Packers to now having cap numbers of six million then ten million in Randall Cobb in his first two years with your team. He doesn't bring anything added that a team can't go and find anywhere else. I understand that Randall Cobb was solid last year, the Dallas Cowboys. Ian, you watched a lot of the Cowboys. How many games did you think that, Oh yes, Randall Cobb is the reason why this Cowboys team won this game or this took him over the edge. Cause I would point very, very few. Cobb was fine. He looked like a He's very fine. fine number three wide receiver. Yeah. But why are you giving him that much guaranteed? But as to Daigle's point, Deshaun Watson has never played a game without DeAndre Hopkins. What happens every single year when Will Fuller gets hurt? All mm-hmm. of us fantasy analysts, we pull out Deshaun Watson's splits with or without Fuller. And without Fuller, they drop off a freaking cliff. What happens when Hopkins isn't there? Like, this yeah. could be very, very bad. And from a fantasy perspective, I still see a scenario if, if Deshaun Watson can play 16 games behind that offensive line, he runs enough, probably enough negative game script for him to, you know, rack up fantasy points, kind of in comeback mode. In the second half, but it's not going to be easy. There's a very low floor here. And kind of like Hooper, like I'm just going to let someone else take Watson at the top of fantasy drafts because there's just so much that could potentially go wrong for the opportunity. They, they ha- they're going to pick up his 2021 option. They have to pick it up by May. But if an extension doesn't get worked out in the next calendar year, I would imagine it's because Watson is just waiting and filling out the waters because he may just want out. Texans fans just have to be out for blood. It's, it has to be furious. Like, I feel awful for them. I really do. 
And how about Watson? You know, he tweets out the Drake song lyrics and they're word for word, like almost talking about a situation in Houston. But then all the Texans fans, he's just talking about song lyrics. It has nothing to do with Bill O'Brien. Come on, people. And look, I know Bill O'Brien has more power than basically anyone in the league other than maybe, what, Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick and and that's about it. But if this isn't a playoff team after you went to the playoffs last year, if they only win five or six games, which I think is in the realm of possibility with how far back we expect this offense to, to fall off unless something changes, I mean, it doesn't matter how much power you have on the inside if the overwhelming hate from the outside pushes ownership to do something. Because you can literally point to one move as the change that altered the, the face and, and the outcome of your success in one year. And that is a big risk that a decision maker like Bill O'Brien has done. Because if it goes poorly, it all can be pointed back to that DeAndre Hopkins deal. Even if it's, even if it's not the case, it can still point, be pointed back to that. And that's a thin, thin tightrope to walk. It was arguably the worst trade in NFL history, but even if you don't even want to talk about the trade and you just go right back to the Randall Cobb deal, just to think that the market didn't even price itself yet for receivers. And then O'Brien comes in out of nowhere and gives Cobb a $27.5 million contract. And like when it's completely unnecessary, when there are better receivers still vying for contracts out there, it's just, it's been a wild and absurd offseason for Texans. Like I said, I really do feel bad for the fans. And we're focusing on the off- Real quick, we're focusing on the offense here. This was the league's single worst defense in yards allowed per play yes. last season. What was their biggest free agency acquisition? Chicker, Kai Fairbaum, you know, $17 million. <laughs> they go. kept the special teams in place. They did go, do that. Go, go kick your ball and do your thing. For, for a team that already didn't have that many playmakers, they eliminated one and haven't added any more outside of that. It just it doesn't make sense. And look, maybe this is one of those occasions, Ian, you referred to people getting excited about the Browns and the Cardinals, hyping them too much. Maybe we're underselling the Texans here, but I, that would be difficult for me to believe mm-hmm. um, halfway through the 2020 season. I will say, you know, we, we've done this with the Seahawks like the last half decade. It's yeah. Like, what are they doing? Can Russell Wilson overcome it? He keeps overcoming it. Sean Watson is good enough to do that. We'll sure. see if he can. Uh, we are running long here. Ian, why don't you hit us with another loser? Uh, the losers could be whatever awesome rookie running back the Dolphins ine- inevitably end up drafting because they added Jordan Howard is pretty much, you know, the rookie running back killer at this point in his career. He's going to be Frank Gore, going to play 14 seasons. <laughs> He's going to have 150 to 200, like, league average level carries. And he doesn't catch the ball. But, I mean, look, he's convinced – already like three play callers in his career to give him over 250 carries. And if we include the Philly season, which he was heading in that direction, he had Miles Sanders firmly on the bench, despite some of the openings we saw Sanders have in the passing game. And so, okay, we're going to, we're going to have Howard there. So at a minimum, the rookie RB is going to have backfield competition. And then this was easily the league's worst offensive line last season. So far they've added Eric Flowers on a big contract and they added uh, Ted, uh, Ted Karras from the Patriots who, was supposed to be their backup center before he got, you know, thrust in the starting role in the preseason last year. Now, Cross is fine. Maybe Flowers plays better than he ever has before. But I don't think that's going to take this, again, league-worst offensive line to anything above, like, below average. So when the team – the only good thing this Dolphins offense did last year was let Fitzpatrick chuck the ball up to Devontae Parker. Fitzpatrick was their leading rusher. So I, I am selling whether it's J.K. Dobbins, you know, and whoever it is that ends up in Miami, I'm out. 
You mentioned well, Dobbins' name, Ian. I know you're a big Ohio State supporter. Uh, and this draft process is going to be so wild for these prospects and for these teams because, I mean, the first time in my lifetime, they won't be visiting these teams. They won't have pro days. There's no connections that are going to be made. So all these like small little details and a level of comfort teams have had with prospects in the past and cite them as reasons why they drafted them. They're not going to have that this year. So that's really going to separate front offices. But the point I was going to make is this, there was like a a three day period where prospects could basically visit teams before it was all shut down. And JK Dobbins made it a point to visit the Dolphins. The Dolphins (laughs) made it a point to visit or or to host JK Dobbins. And there's already finger pointing there and, and connections being made. So that wouldn't be a surprise for me for, at all. For as much traction as Jordan Howard has received in fantasy circles the past four years, it's kind of weird to think he doesn't turn 26 until November. Really? Yeah. He was young coming was like out of college. 36. <laughs> no, no. He's, he's, only, he's not even 26 he, yet. He was one of those players who also got displaced from UAB. Did you know that? Remember when UAB's program shut down? He was the running back, I believe – with that team and then went up to Indiana and, and yep. did very well there. And he's not bad by any stretch no. of the imagination. He's just, he's there. He exists. Yeah. He's he just present. wasn't, he's not an athlete. Like it's that. like Howard Hyde Gore, these guys that they're just going to soak up so many touches. It's just hard to expect anything. Timeless else ones. Backfields. Yeah. All right, John Daigle closes out here. All right. Uh, a quick one, which I figured was due for regression, but then something happened in free agency that stood out because if you recall, Oakland traded for Zay Jones at the trade deadline. Yes. Uh, or I'm sorry, Las Vegas. And yes, Zay Jones is still with the Raiders. That took me a while to figure out as well. Uh, in week eight, and that actually upped Hunter Renfro's usage to 25 routes per game from over the second half of the season. And in that span, with Hunter Renfro, who was very good his rookie year, uh, suddenly playing an increased role, Darren Waller's targets in the seven games he played with Renfro in that span dropped to six targets per game. So he obviously had targets taken away. But then you have also Foster Moreau coming back for his second season. Recall seven red zone targets turned that into five touchdowns as a goal line threat. So you also have targets being taken away from Darren Waller in his second year as a starter. And then they added Jason Witten out of nowhere. Still don't understand where that came from, uh, who doesn't have much gas left in the tank in terms of lateral movement, but he did finish with a career high catch rate last year because that's what he does. He moves the chains. So now I'm just worried that Waller's also going to have relevant snaps taken away, which after a terrific breakout season that, Yes, coach speak usually lends itself to something, but not an 1,100-yard season, right? Not a breakout tight end his first year as starter. Uh, so it's just I think that he's a big loser in free agency. Yeah, and they also signed Mr. No Gloves, Nick O'Leary. I mean, there's just so many mm. – I don't know what the Raiders and Bears are doing. It's like they just want as many tight ends as possible. But, yeah, one of the great things about Waller last season was that near every single down role he had. He played 90% of snaps on the entire season. You know, and they already had – Foster Moreau, who's, I guess, dealing with some kind of mysterious knee injury right now. We got to get more information on that down the road. But, yeah, suddenly, and every down tight end as the clear-cut number one pass catcher in his offense has way more competition at his position. And also, I mean, Gruden even said before, like, we talked about the Antonio Brown feet problem throughout all last preseason and all that. But Tyrell Williams, like, a lot of his uh, early season production, he missed those, like, four or five games because of the foot problems. And from what Gruden was saying, like, he was never really – back to himself so a whole lot of scenarios for Darren Waller to 
easily not finish as number one pass catcher in Oakland in Las Vegas. Excuse me. Yeah, no, I'm going to make that mistake a thousand yeah. times. Yeah, I, I do. I was going to do it. Uh, I just posted another mock draft. I have them taking. I believe I have them taking CD Lamb uh, in mm-hmm. the first round. They're in a perfect spot right outside of that. I think that top ten to take a wide receiver in this draft. It's kind of going back to the Eagles here. It's shocking to see them, other than Nelson Aguilar, not attack that wide receiver position uh, even more. What do you guys think of this Marcus Mariota deal when it came out? Because there is some guaranteed money involved. It's $7.5 million guaranteed. The cap number this year is 7.5 mil. Next year, it's $10 million. He was, he was Mayock's number one, you've said on this podcast before, right? Yeah, he was. I, there's, there's some backstory to that because that was obviously the Jameis Winston year. And you know, for the entire process, Mayock had Jameis Winston as the number one overall player. And then something occurred to him where he just didn't trust Jameis the person and flipped it over to, to Marcus Mariota. I also had Marcus as the number one quarterback that year for being perfectly honest here. So wasn't one of Gruden's like main critiques of Carr last season that he was public about was that Carr like didn't scramble run enough. Hmm. Yeah. Probably extend I, plays like went out of structure. So I'm not saying Mariota's like awesome at, you know, breaking tackles in the pocket and making yeah. something happen, but the dude is definitely a better athlete than well, Carr. So it's a lot of money to get someone just to expect him to back up. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a good point that you made. And I talked about this on a previous podcast last week that Marcus has always had the tools, right? He's always had the tools to be that outside of structure monster that you want because he's athletic. He, he has the arm, but just that confidence, that, that mentality to, to make those plays and the chaos he doesn't seem to have. And like, the more I do this, the more I realize it is kind of that mindset, but um, yeah, maybe John Gruden thinks he's like the ultimate project to fix and I, I wouldn't put that past them either with that so. all I know is it's a bad time for Derek Carr to list that house next to John Gruden a really <laughs> bad time uh guys good job today you get to see like our apartments and what they look like Dago I love the artwork behind you it's just a blank piece of wall my uh, uh background is modern art distancing. And yeah. I, I'm working on it. Ian knows what I'm trying to figure, do with the background. It's, it's a work in progress right now. It's coming together for John. It's coming um, together. Yeah, I think these next few weeks, John, like take up painting. Finger painting, watercolors. I no, hold on. You can't do watercolors. That's, that, that's Mina Kimes. Yeah, she's got that oh. market. That's true. She's got that she's market. Really too. You can do have, something like that, Jake. I have looked for wrestling art, but no one, paint, no one oil paints wrestling. Go figure. All right. That's going to do it for us. Um, later on this week, I'm going to do a draft podcast. Uh, Roto Pat will be on. Mike Renner of PFF will be on um, that he believes in a little bit too much. Ones he could go to bat for. So be on the lookout. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got a charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.